It's been so good to explore this whole theme of joy tonight. It's been good to see those dramas, looking at this whole idea of what brings joy. That's what we're said. That'd be great. Thanks, mate. Look at what brings joy and asking questions of people. It's fun going around uh, Bruford and Bird and around Sidcup, just asking people what would bring them joy. And it was so fun just watching that back here. I love, for me, one of the most touching moments was the guy on the bike who just kind of, you could just sense how much he wanted a car. You know, he could, I don't know, like I got emotional. I was like, just, it doesn't have to be a nice car, just the car. Like it, being there, actually interviewing him, like you felt it, like he, he really wants that car. And just the kind of the funny things, like that person who's like, ah, I can't really think of anything. I changed. And then it's like, oh, yeah, buff. Like, that would, that would revolutionize my life. And there's, at the beginning, one girl who's like, ah, if I could get anything. Ah, an electric toothbrush. And then, I don't know if you heard a mate next to her. He was like, oh, dream big, um, which I quite enjoyed his little sarcastic quip he made there. But one guy we spoke to, I don't think it made it to the final cut. When, when I asked him, what would you get if you could get anything? He said, I want new legs. And I was a bit confused. I was like, what do you mean? He's like... I want to be more flexible. And then he proceeded to do, uh, you dancers will know, some move where he kind of, I mean, he actually could do it, and I've been practicing. I mean, my goal for this year was to be able to touch my toes by the end of the year. And unless Jesus does a miracle for me, it's not happening. Like, I'm, I'm, you can pray for me. I'm getting closer. If I wear kind of thick shoes, I'm within touching distance. But I'm getting older, so I'm struggling. And you know you're getting old when what you ask for for Christmas starts to change. You know what I mean? Like when you were a kid, what do you ask for? Stuff like a BMX or a remote control car or stuff like that. Last week, my auntie asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And this is no lie. She said, what do you want? You can have anything. Well, obviously not anything. It was a 40-pound budget or something like that. She's very generous. Um, and uh, I said, this is my answer. I said, I want a stainless steel saucepan. That was what I asked for. I mean, that's just embarrassing. Like, you know you're getting old when you're asking for a saucepan for Christmas. And I had a mate, I remember him telling me, he, he once asked his parents for a TV license for Christmas. I mean, how does it come to that? That is a little bit depressing. But tonight we're looking at what will bring us joy. Is it TV licenses? Is it baths? Is it bikes? Is it saucepans? We're looking at what will bring joy. And joy is quite a, a Christmassy word. It's the kind of word that we don't really use a whole lot in, in day-to-day life. It's a little bit maybe quaint or a bit dated. But when you realize what joy actually is, you realize that's at the heart of everything you're living for. It's at the heart of everything you want. All of us are living for more joy. It's why you want a better job. It's why you want to be in a good relationship. It's why you want to have good sex and have lots of money. It's why we take substances that intoxicate us. It's why we spend hours engrossing ourselves in the fantasies of novels and TV. It's why we love Santa, the idea that we could just get the things, not just that we need, but that we want. If only we could get those things, then we'd finally get the joy that we crave. But I don't know if you've noticed this, but joy seems to be quite elusive. Have you noticed that? This idea that, you know, if I just get this thing will make me happy. Well, the problem is we get that thing and then it often excites, often for a long time, but it doesn't fully satisfy. In fact, sometimes the the thing that we were desperate for, when we get it, it actually turns into something we start to detest. Have you ever thought about how it's interesting 
that we now have more than ever the things that we thought would bring us joy, like the things we saw in those video, those videos. We have them more than ever before, and yet it hasn't really seemed to work. You notice that? Like we have, we have more makeup and cosmetic surgery and gyms and protein shakes, yet we're more image conscious. We have uh, all sorts of medical treatments. We have the best uh, medicine uh, and medical treatments that the history of the planet has ever known. Yet we're more anxious and fearful about sickness and dying. We've got the biggest connectivity the world has ever known. And yet we have an epidemic of loneliness. And it's not just old people. It's not, you know, kind of people isolated in their homes. It's young people as well who have hundreds of friends and followers online, a lot of connections, but not a lot of closeness. It's not just single people using every app and website to get that relationship they want, but people in relationships who, after finally getting it, find that it's not kind of satisfied and fulfilled with their desires that they'd hoped. We live, as you know, in the most populated city in the whole country. And yet, statistically, we live in the most lonely city in the entire country. Sometimes it's like being strangers in a crowded room. We live in a time of more anxiety and depression and suicide and addiction. We're longing for joy. We're grasping for it, but it's eluding us. So against that backdrop, we have the Christmas message of Joy to the world. In the Bible, in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, an angel goes to the shepherds who are looking after their sheep. An angel appears to them and says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Great joy for all the people. And the news that the angel shared was that God had come to earth as a man, as Jesus, a saviour, born that day. Now, when you think of Jesus, do you think of joy? Is that the kind of thing that pops into your mind? I don't think it really is for a lot of people. I mean, I wasn't massively surprised that in a lot of the interviews we did when given the choice of meeting Jesus or Santa, the majority of people we interviewed went with Santa. And I can get that because for a lot of people, Santa's this kind of big and cuddly and fun and jolly guy. A lot of people described him as magical and people are like, I want to cuddle him. I'm like... Okay, I don't know if that's cool, but great. People are like, I just want to get to, you know, hang out with him. And that guy was like, I love to go for a pint with Santa. I love that. But the thought of going for a pint with Jesus, I mean, for a lot of people, that's a little bit awkward. I mean, he, he'd probably spend most of the time telling you to stop swearing or you just kind of feel a bit judged. I mean, just say hypothetically, you did manage to twist Jesus' arm and get him to stay past his strict 8 o'clock bedtime and come to the pub with you. You know it's going to be that awkward situation at the bar where the, the barman asks you what you want and you're like, um, I'll have a pint of Carlsberg water for me uh, and a J2O for Jesus. You know how it's going to be. It's going to be awkward. Like, but Santa, a lot of fun. But Jesus, nah, pretty, pretty serious, surely. A bit strict, a bit dour, a bit heavy. Maybe you kind of associate Jesus and Christianity with your upbringing. Maybe you went to a church school like I did, and, and kind of you were forced into these Christian assemblies, and you had to sing all these songs and do all these prayers. Or maybe you know a Christian or someone who claims to be a Christian. 
he's just a bit annoying and a bit weird. And you're like, if that's what Jesus is like, I don't want anything to do with it. Jesus had some pretty bad PR over the years. But what was he actually like? I mean, what was he like? And how, okay, so how can we find out? Well, the same way that we could find out how anyone is, you or I, by hearing from them and hearing from the people around them. So let's have a little look at that. And the first thing to establish, and we just need to kind of put this groundwork in place, is to establish whether or not Jesus was actually a real person who lived. So I think there's this idea that a lot of people have, and it came through the video a little bit, that Jesus is kind of like a, a myth or a fairy tale, a bit like kind of Hercules or Harry Potter. And you might say, no, 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 I know he's not, I know he's real, yeah, yeah, I get that, that's cool, I know he's supposed to be alive, blah, 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 great. But for me, I take that really seriously, because I'm really into my history. I studied history as my degree, and so I wanted to know if Jesus was historically accurate, if he actually lived, if he was actually doing the things that people said he did. So I studied it, and it's something, if you want to do, you can go online, you can find very quickly lots of really good resources, there's tons of books as well, and very quickly you'll realise that he actually lived, there's no debate amongst historians about if Jesus lived or not, that's not a debate. The question is, what Jesus was like. So let's have a little look at what Jesus said he was like, and the people around him said. Now for me, when I looked into this and studied it, I was amazed at the accounts of Jesus' life. I really studied it because, as I say, I'm a historian. I want to get to know what a person is like in history. And now this idea of him being stuffy or boring couldn't be farther from the truth. When you look at his life, you see a much different story. You see a man full of fun and energy and excitement. I mean, look, for example, at his first miracle. If you were God, come down to earth, and you were going to do your first miracle, what would you do? I mean, maybe you'd be like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal a blind person, you know, open their, their eyes to show my compassion. Or maybe you think, I'm going to uh, raise someone from the dead to show just how powerful I am. Or maybe you'd be like, I'm just going to walk on water because that's cool and that's definitely going to get the people going. Like maybe, you know, that's the kind of miracle you'd go for. But what did Jesus decide to do for his first miracle to kind of set the tone of who he was and what he was like? Well, his first miracle happened at a wedding, and he's with his mum, they're hanging out at the wedding, and Mary says to him, um, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've heard, but um, the guests have drunk the bar dry. There's, there's no drinks left. The wine's run out. And Jesus, rather than be like, well, serves them right for drinking too much, or they better have an early night tonight then. What does Jesus do? He spares the bride and groom's blushes, by turning water into wine. And we're not just talking like a couple of glasses. When you read the account, it says that he turned 600 litres of water into wine. 600 litres. Let that sink in for a bit. For those of you who know your maths, that is around 800 bottles of wine. Jesus turned into water into wine at our wedding. 800 bottles. Now, why did he do that? Is it because he's impartial to a bit of Chilean Merlot? No. Because he was setting the tone, he was giving the message of what following him would look like. A life of joy and celebration and excitement and partying. That was the message that Jesus was setting 
with his first miracle, pointing towards the thing that he talked about time and time and time again during his time on earth, which was when you die, there's a party waiting for you, a banquet, a feast. There's going to be food. There's going to be enjoyment. There's going to be fun. And Jesus was this amazing, warm guy of fun. People loved to be around him. They loved spending time with him. He was so warm and inviting, especially to the people on the fringes. So, for example, when people with leprosy were around. Now, if you know the context, you know that they were seen as not just physically unclean, but spiritually unclean. They had to live outside the town. And when they came near Jesus, he didn't run away and say, whoa, 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 I'm Jesus. I can't be near the kind of unclean things and I don't want to get your disease. He approached them, not just kind of from a couple meters away as everyone else, if they were brave, would have done. But he went up to them and put an arm around them. Or there's tax collectors, which in that time were seen as the most despicable of people, traitors to the nation and thieves. And Jesus not only spoke to them, but invited them to be friends and his followers, despite the absolute disdain of the people around him. I thought, this is terrible that Jesus be friends with people like that. Oh, then there's kids. And when children started to come to Jesus and his disciples were like, whoa, whoa, wait back here. Like, he's got better things to do than play with kids. Jesus was like, what are you doing? Of course I want to hang out with children. They're a picture of what God is like, of fun. They're a picture of what faith is like. Let the little children come to me. Or when prostitutes came near to Jesus, rejects, shameful in the society, they were met with warmth and a welcome and healing and grace and forgiveness. Again, despite the absolute disgust of everyone who witnessed it. That's what Jesus was like. The only ones who missed out were those who thought they were too good to need Jesus. So how does Jesus bring joy now then? Because you might say, oh, that's really cool. Like historical accounts of all the stuff he did back then, great. But how does that relate to my life now? Well, when Jesus turned water into wine, he wasn't just showing how much he cares about joy. But how joy is possible. See, when he turned water into wine, it pointed towards a moment where he'd be with his disciples. And he'd tell them to take wine and take some bread and to drink and eat in remembrance of him and all he was going to accomplish by dying on the cross. See, the disciples had thought, like many of us, that life was all about and getting into heaven was all about being a good person. And if you believe that, as many then and many still do believe, you've got a couple of options when you mess up and you make a mistake. You either work really, really hard to prove to other people and prove to God that you're a good person, just strive, strive, strive really hard, or you act like it wasn't a big deal and what you do doesn't really matter and just keep going on with your life. But Jesus says, what you do does matter it does matter it'd be wrong to just turn a blind eye to it Jesus cares passionately about justice and that there'd be consequences to actions but instead of you having to face the eternal consequences of your actions Jesus in the most scandalous thing says I will take the punishment that you deserved 
I will take it. That you don't have to pay the price for what you've done. You don't have to earn my love or try and convince me to love you or convince me you're a good person or convince the world around you that you're a good person. This is a free gift that I offer to you. You're free, not because what you do didn't matter or doesn't matter now, but because it massively matters. And I've taken the punishment for it all. It's dealt with. It's done. It's finished because of my death on the cross. It's a scandal. You give Jesus all of the wrong things that you've done, and in return, he gives you forgiveness and freedom and a peace that comes from knowing there's no more shame, no more guilt, that one day you'll be with him for eternity. See, true joy is only possible when it's based on something permanent. Eventually, the 15 minutes of fame will pass, the health will go, money helps, but there's always something more. Relationships can break down. And whilst they're all good things, they can't fully satisfy, they can't bring that true fulfillment and fullness of joy because they're temporary. Joy is only possible when it's based on something permanent. And the big problem we have is that everything in this life is temporary. But Jesus says, you can build your life on something that lasts. Something permanent, steadfast, a sure thing. In the Bible, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, anyone who believes in him, will not perish, will not die, will have to pay the consequence of their sin, but have eternal life. Eternal, everlasting, forever, not temporary, something you can stake your whole life on. That's what gives joy in all circumstances. Yes, enjoy the good things, but don't have a foundation built on things that can crumble. Build your life on something that can't be shaken, a hope that's certain. And let's, I just want to be real. Life if you do follow Jesus, will still have its challenges. I'm not here today saying, you know, if you follow Jesus, all of a sudden, it's amazing and nothing goes wrong. Ask anyone here who uh, follows Jesus, and even for a long time, you'll learn that just because you followed him for a long time doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to get any easier. In fact, sometimes it gets harder. I'd say for me, the last three years of my life have been the toughest. It's been rough, to be honest. I've uh, lost a job that I loved. I've been rejected by people, I've had health problems, I've had two uh, separate friends die suddenly in their 20s. It's been tough. I've cried more in the last few years than my whole life combined. I've shouted at God in frustration more than I've ever done before. And yet, through it all, I've known his joy. I've known that because Jesus gets it, that he suffered himself. He knows what pain feels like. He knows what it is to weep. That I can have a peace, a hope. I know that whatever goes down, it's never the end of the story. That's the joy that following Jesus brings. On Thursday, we, um, we had a funeral here. And if you had to think of any event where you're least likely to find joy, 
It'd be a fair answer to say a funeral. And it was the funeral of a woman called Margaret. And Margaret had a pretty hard life. Her husband died in his 50s. One of her sons died in, her, in his 30s. She lost her house and she lost her health. And yet, every Sunday, she would stand in here with a smile on her face, singing songs to Jesus. How? How is that possible despite all the things she's gone through? Well, for the very reason that her son, her grandson Tom, was able to stand here and have joy at her funeral. Tom stood in this very same spot and said this, Today I'm 10% sad, as I'll miss having grandma around. But I'm 90% happy because I share with her the hope in the promise of Jesus, the promise that I'll see her again, confident because of all that Jesus has done to pay for our sins. We'll be together with him forever. Even death isn't the end of joy. In fact, it can be the first day of joy in its fullest. Without all the hindrances of confusion and doubt and disappointment and pain. A joy like we can't even imagine. That is the good news of great joy for all people. For you. You can know that joy today. I want to just end by giving you a chance to respond. A chance to pray if that's something you'd like to do. So I can just encourage you to close your eyes or bow your head or whatever you'd like to do to to be able to focus and respond. There's an invitation this evening. It's the invitation that we read out earlier. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and life to the full. The question is this, do you want to know life with Jesus? Life to the full. A life of hope and peace and joy. Not having to strive to kind of work to be a good person or having to switch off your conscience when you know that things are wrong. Well, there's a, response, a chance for you to respond right now. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you're in that place, you're not. I'd like to explore this. I'd like to go on a journey of knowing the joy that Jesus could bring. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And if that's you, I just encourage you to echo this in your heart. Jesus, I want to know your joy. Thank you that you say, whoever believes in you, whoever comes to you can know your forgiveness doesn't matter someone's past what they've done the things they would be terrified if people found out doesn't matter if at this point they thought they were too good to need you God I thank you that you say whoever Jesus I ask for your forgiveness of all the wrong things that I've done I thank you for taking the punishment on the cross that I deserved. I thank you for your freedom that comes from forgiveness. Help me to know your peace, your hope, and your joy as I go on this journey 
of following you. Amen.